This is the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. And today's episode is part two of our special mini-series on the US midterms, which of course are coming up next week. And on this podcast, I've been talking to Ariel Edwards-Levy um, from the Huffington Post, who's a reporter and um, polling editor uh, there. And we talked a bit about the numbers and what to expect next week. And here is that conversation. So I'm here with Ariel Edwards-Levy from the Huffington Post. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So obviously an incredibly uh, busy time for you guys over there um, at the moment. I mean, what's your what's your top line take on things at the moment? What are the polls um, saying about what's going to happen next week? This is always a dangerous question to try to answer uh, right before an election. I think that speaking in generalities sort of here's what you can say. If you're looking at the House, you would much rather be the Democrat than not. If you're looking at the Senate, you'd much rather be a Republican than not. And with that being said, you know, neither of those means that either party is sure to win, let alone win by the exact margins that polls would seem to suggest that they might. And also, there's still a week left, which can be an eternity in this sort of news cycle. So I think that you're going in with a fairly strong idea of who's favored and that there's also, you know, plenty of room for things to not work out quite the way that you might imagine. So what sort of issues are... um forefront in Americans' minds as they're going to the polls. I mean, I, I presume the president is a very major factor in his popularity, but I mean, how does that factor into things and what else are Americans thinking about? Yeah, so Donald Trump is sort of the unavoidable issue here. And it's sort of interesting to think about what kind of impact that is going to have on the election. First of all, you know, he's not a popular president. There have been some polls that showed his numbers sort of ticking up a little bit. At least for a while, he was looked to be at sort of the top of his fairly narrow range of popularity, where he was doing a little bit better than he was earlier in the year, which I'm sure made Republicans um, a little bit more happier. Regardless of that, he's a controversial figure. He motivates his opponents more than he motivates his supporters. And if he puts himself front and center, which he's been trying to do, going to rallies, you know, bringing up a lot of controversial issues at the closing days of this election, that certainly has an impact on the tenor of the race. Now, with that being said, if you actually look at what people are campaigning on in districts, especially among Democrats, you're seeing this really almost monomaniacal focus on things like health care. So in some ways, you've actually seen Democratic candidates being a little bit less eager to nationalize the race than you might assume just from looking at the national top lines. And so what you have is a sort of interesting picture where the president is unpopular, the economy is pretty good. And those are sort of different factors that you would expect to be seeing swinging in different directions. But obviously, also, in a midterm year, the incumbent party is going to be in a little bit of trouble. And if they were hoping that the tax law that they passed is going to sort of mitigate that, that does not seem to be something that has had a really big effect on the election thus far. I mean, do you get a sense of, um, I mean, let's unpick some of that. I mean, do you get a sense of uh, which side is the more motivated to go to the polls? You would assume... Um, that it's the Democrats, um, and that certainly seems to be the conventional wisdom. But then, of course, there's been lots of things in the news, particularly after the Kavanaugh hearings, that seem to suggest the horse race was tightening a bit. So, I mean, is it still the case that Democrats are more motivated to show up? You know, this is one of those cases where I really do believe that no matter what um, your preferred narrative is, you can probably find a couple of polls that will support it, whether it's nationally or whether it's in um, specific districts. There was some uh, polling that seemed like it might indicate after the Kavanaugh hearing that it had sort of helped juice Republicans' enthusiasm to sort of match Democrats. 
at the same time, it's sort of hard to unpick that from the fact that the election is getting closer and everybody's sort of getting a little more geared up anyways. Now, following that, you've seen some polling suggesting that that might have ebbed. It's not clear that what ebbed ever existed at all. It's not clear how much of a difference there really is between the parties. Now, having said all that, a couple things I think you can say. One is that for Democratic enthusiasm to be keeping pace with Republican enthusiasm in a midterm election is somewhat unusual. The second is that Democrats started off this year with midterm enthusiasm, which I think helped them in terms of sort of getting off the ground, fundraising, things like that. And so on top of all of that, I think what you're seeing here is that it might not even be one trend nationally. You know, you could see a scenario, I think it's possible to say that, you know, Democrats in some races are really amped up, Republicans and others. But overall, I do think what you're seeing is that enthusiasm in general is very high compared to, say, the last midterm election. I suppose it's easy to forget that when we're thinking of the House specifically, it's the whole thing that's up, right? So um, it's, a, it's a genuinely um, national election. I guess we're going to be having to look very closely after the results come in, at which which uh, districts are going which direction, won't we? To see, um, you know, are these um, white working class areas sticking with the president? Are the are um, graduate women? I think is one of the groups that seem to be turning against him. I mean, it's going to be a really sort of complicated picture to unpick, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting demographics to watch this year is that um, education has become much more of a demographic divide than it ever was before. You know, you're seeing these really tremendous gaps between people who have a college degree and people who do not have a college degree in terms of how they vote. And one of the reasons that that matters is that people with a college degree are also more likely to vote in general than people who don't. So traditionally, when you see these sort of demographic divides in midterm elections, the people who favor Republicans are those who are more likely to turn out. You see older voters who um, go generally for the GOP are much likelier to vote than our younger voters. And you see the same sort of thing with white voters versus minorities. But here, there's a case where the demographic divide favors the Democrats, and those people are actually more reliable and consistent voters. That's interesting, because the um, the education split is something we're very much seeing in the in the UK at the moment as well, when it comes to support for the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, and but also um, the Brexit vote that happened a couple of years ago. It's interesting to see that sort of um, manifesting itself, not just in the UK, but um, but in the uh, but in the US as well. I mean, there are, are there any yeah. particular? Um, I mean, talk about healthcare. It doesn't seem to have been on the top of the agenda, um, at least that I've seen as an outsider uh, uh, across the Atlantic, as it were. I mean, is that something then that the Democrats are really trying to? get back onto the top of the agenda as much as they can. I know it's an issue that polls well for them. Yes, and I mean, I think, again, that's one of those things where the nationalized sort of picture of the election sometimes looks very different than what's happening on a race-to-race basis, where if you look at what's happening on the national level, what the national news conversation is, we've had so many news cycles in you know the past month or two alone that it's almost impossible to remember all of them since Brett Kavanaugh, which was supposed to um, you know for a while be the linchpin of this election. We've had just an inordinate number of things happening, many of which I think probably garner a little bit more heat and light inside Washington than for most everyday Americans. And if you look at ad spending, what you see is that Democrats are just very laser focused on healthcare. It pulls very well for them right now. Um, people were not impressed by um, the, the Republicans' attempt to repeal um, the Affordable Care Act. Um, 
last year. And one of the interesting things is if you look back to the midterms after um, the ACA was first passed, it was this real albatross for Democrats. But it's gotten much, much more popular since then. Um, the American public has sort of gone much more in sync with the Democratic Party, and they, they see this as an issue that they can really sort of drive home. It's amazing. You don't know what you've got till it's almost gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be uh, certainly seems to be, seems to be the case. Um, I mean, are there any particular races that uh, that you're watching? I mean, I, I think the, over here there's been a lot of talk about Beto O'Rourke in uh, in Texas. I mean, it feels like um, people are stretching uh, a bit to think that he can actually unseat Ted Cruz. But of course, you know, uh, in the UK we all know who Ted Cruz. Well. A lot of the politicos know who Ted Cruz is, um, and the idea that Texas <laughs> could go blue again seems to be a uh, uh, really uh, surprising and tantalizing. But I mean, is is that the kind of most high profile race, uh, or are we missing Texas some? Texas has certainly gotten really a lot of attention, and it's an interesting race because I think that you know it's a red state, and people are really sort of drawn to the narrative by the idea that this red state could eventually go blue. Obviously, Ted Cruz is a very high-profile politician who many people have opinions on, for better or for worse. And, you know, Democrats see uh, Beto O'Rourke as a very strong candidate. So there's a lot of reasons that I think that race has drawn a lot of attention. And if you look at the numbers, it's one of those things where it's sort of just close enough to be tantalizing and to be interesting. And, you know, I think Ted Cruz is probably the heavy favorite to win, but there's always that shot. And, you know, if you're also looking at something where there could be voters who are not, who are being a little bit undercounted because they're young and they're minority and they might not look like the profile of a likely voter, that could be it. That said, you know, my money would probably still be on Ted Cruz. So I think it's fair to say, um, if we try and look ahead, I'm not going to ask you to make any predictions, don't worry. But uh, <laughs> if we look ahead to the next couple of years, almost the day after the midterms, it's, it feels like everyone's going to start looking towards um, 2020. And, you know, there's going to be lots of speculation about who's going to run and, and whether whether Trump can win re-election and that sort of thing. I mean, before we get into any of that, though, I mean, what 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 does your sort of issues-based polling tell you about how you think... Um, you know, US politics will shape out in the next couple of years in terms of what the agenda is going to be about. Like what's, you've talked a bit about healthcare on the Democrat side. They obviously hope it's going to be that. But um, I guess you've got immigration, the economy. Um, it's almost like who can own the agenda is going to be as important as who these candidates are, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, obviously, immigration is something that for Trump's really sort of core supporters, the kind of people who not only voted for him in the general election, but who supported him in that initial GOP primary, that's something that really uh, motivates them very powerfully. And then the economy is interesting just because it's played less of a role in this election than it has in past years because the economy is sort of fairly strong. And one might think that if you know President Trump were a little bit more of a typical Republican politician and the economy was what it was, that the Republicans might be in a stronger place. So I think in the presidential election, when it really does become about two candidates and it really is a referendum on Trump himself rather than him playing just sort of a very large background role that's going to make a big difference and it's going to be a lot about battling for which issues favor which party and also for just personality. I mean what about the gender gap politically because one of the things that struck me looking at some of the very very top line uh, figures on the generic ballot for the midterms and that sort of thing is that there is a humongous uh, gender gap between men and women in terms of uh, who's supporting the Democrats and Republicans. I mean, I, I, my impression as an outsider is it's not always been that way, right? So this feels different. I mean, it's probably not surprising when you consider who the president is and some of the issues that have been 
that have been raised, which we all know about. But is is gender going to play a really important role in the next couple of years and maybe even who the nominee is uh, for Democrats? It's certainly interesting. And, you know, this is something where the gender gap is not new. It's a trend that we'd already been seeing, but it probably was exacerbated um, by President Trump. And you see that especially among millennial women who have moved fairly strongly toward the Democratic Party. You know, we did some polling fairly recently that I found interesting in terms of gender, which is that we asked people to look at a wide variety of uh, gender, uh, of demographics from, you know, gender, religion, geography, race. We said, how much does this identity matter to you? Do you feel like you have a lot in common with, you know, other men and other women? Do you feel like you have a lot in common with other people of the same ethnicity as you? And what we found was probably not surprising in retrospect is that Democratic women um, largely say, yes, I think I have a lot in common with other women. It's something that's important to me. Republican women did not feel the same way, and they very strongly said, no, this is not something where I have a lot in common with other women, which, you know, does make sense as you're seeing this sort of realignment where many women are Democratic and that as a voting bloc is being talked about as something that's Democratic leaning. So I think within the Democratic Party, it's a powerful force. I think if you look overall, partisanship is still sort of going to play a bigger role in terms of what somebody personally believes. But I think within the Democratic Party, it's something that many women are very cognizant about and feel has been a very sort of powerful part of their lives, especially under the Trump presidency. I mean, one of the most surprising poll findings that I've seen in recent years was, um, I think it was from the exit polls anyway, uh, in 2016, was this idea that um, I think white women uh, went for Trump uh, narrowly. I think I'm right in saying that. I mean, it's a, I guess it's a selective reading of the numbers to, to, to... um, sort of filter by white women, but that was still interesting considering it was Hillary Clinton versus President, uh, now President Trump, and uh, you know all the things he said and the controversies surrounding his campaign. It, 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 that that did uh, surprise me. I mean, on Trump, um, his approval rating seems to be gradually ticking into what I would refer to as almost more normal approval rating. Still quite low, I guess. I mean, do you think that um, his advisors and he himself will be reasonably optimistic about his re-election chances? You know, in terms of Trump's approval rating, what we've seen is that it really falls within this spectacularly um, narrow band in which it sort of tends to vacillate back and forth in this pretty narrow range of, you know, maybe 39 to 45. Just, you know, if you look at past president's approval ratings and you look at Trump's, his are much more sort of narrowly defined. And, you know, barring any sort of major shift, I expect we're probably going to see it continue to fall within that range um, throughout the next year or two. And a lot sort of depends on where it happens to land when people end up actually voting. That being said, you know, I think even a somewhat unpopular sitting president probably has reasons to expect that he has decent chances of re-election. I don't think anybody should be walking into this saying that Donald Trump has no chance of winning re-election. I think that's untrue. And looking on the Democrat side, obviously, it, it feels to me like there's going to be a very, very wide field uh, who, who sort of fancy their chances of being the nominee. But then, you know, who knows? Um, who, who are the people to watch? I, I'm not going to ask you to pick who the nominee will be. I don't think even that, that person knows. But, I mean, the people we tend to hear about are, you know, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, um, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, these sorts of people. I mean, they, I mean, I think particularly Elizabeth Warren's been making the running in the last couple of months, hasn't she? I mean, who, who are you keeping an eye out for? You know, I think all the people you just named. And then 
I think one thing to watch here is just sort of um, to look at new blood, to look at people who might not normally have the sort of resume that you would sort of expect for someone who's lining up to be the Democratic Party nominee. You know, when you look at the polling from this time before the 2016 election, obviously, Donald Trump was nowhere to be seen. And people were talking about, you know, Jeb Bush and Scott Walker and Chris Christie, you know, none of who ended up being even in sort of the strongest tier of candidates um, to challenge a Donald Trump. So I think this is the kind of situation where certainly there's a lot of room for sort of a rising star to move up pretty quickly. And that, you know, maybe the experience argument carries a little less weight than I might have in past cycles. But, you know, that being said, I think right now we're just sort of starting at zero. And even, you know, I think in the next couple of months, and especially once this midterm is out of the way, you're going to get a clearer picture of sort of who is lining up the machinery to start getting a campaign together. Because, I mean, particularly with some of the people I've mentioned, uh, particularly Biden and Sanders, I mean, they're on the, shall we put it politely, older side of, uh, of, of candidates, right? So, I mean, it's not clear that some of these so-called frontrunners are even going to actually get into the race when it comes to it, right? It's in their interest yeah. to say that they will or intimate that they will now to keep their options open, but they might not. Yeah, they may or they may not. You know, I think a lot sort of depends on the political environment. You know, I think if the past election taught us anything, it's that you don't have to have this sort of ideal of what a candidate looks like. You know, I think if either party were talking about, oh, building a candidate from scratch, I don't know that you end up with somebody who looks like Bernie Sanders doing as strongly as he did in the Democratic primary. You certainly don't end up with somebody like Donald Trump. So when you look at the preferences that um, people have for candidates in their party, whether it's someone who has experience or someone who's younger or things like that. A lot of times what you see is people sort of backfitting those preferences to describe the person they're already supporting. Mm. So, you know, I think it's very open right now. And are there any particular sort of outsiders we should be looking at or do you think it's just too early to tell? I think it's a little early for me. <laughs> I, won't, I won't put you on the spot. Ariel Edwards-Levy, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Ariel Edwards-Levy from the Huffington Post. Big thanks to Ariel uh, for joining me on this week's podcast. Quite sensibly, I uh, wouldn't be put on the spot there about who the de- Democrat nominee will be in two years' time, but that's uh, uh, very understandable. But it does um, that conversation does remind me that actually, you know, obviously the politics is about the candidates and it's about leaders and um, who's running where and that sort of thing, and there'll be a lot of attention uh, on Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke and other people. But actually it's about issues, and it's, you know, and the, and the aim of... Um, each each political party, whether it's here in the UK or in the US, is to try and set the agenda and is to try and make your issue uh, the issue where you poll strongest uh, front of mind. Front of mind, I suppose in the US it's going to be very difficult to get beyond the fact that this is going to be some kind of referendum on the president, and that referendum in terms of results will shake out depending on how the House goes, uh, which is a national election, but also uh, a little bit of the luck of the draw of uh, the Senate seats that happen to be up. I mean. Republicans may hold the Senate, but that might not necessarily reflect a, a brilliant night for them. It might just more reflect the seats that, that are up. But um, it was interesting that Ariel was talking about healthcare. It seems to have gone off, at least um, as an outsider, it seems to have sort of fallen off the agenda a bit. But it does make sense that the um, the Democrats want to try and uh, advance that and make that front and center of their of their campaign. And uh, it does certainly look like they're in a good position for the House. Um, the Senate, of course, we will wait and see. 
Um, but that's all for this episode of the um, Polling Matters uh, Political Betting uh, Podcast. Again, this is one of a series of episodes that we're doing on the uh, midterm elections. And uh, coming up on part three of this uh, series, we'll be talking to Patrick Ruffini uh, as a GOP pollster from Echelon Insights. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. Um, but also do uh, check out my uh, podcast earlier this week of Anthony Scaramucci, uh, the former White House communications director and advisor to uh, Donald Trump. Certainly an interesting conversation with Anthony, um, very much interested in talking to people about the numbers and what's behind them from all sides of the uh, political uh, divide. And we had a great conversation and he had some uh, unique insights into uh, Trump's uh, supporters, but also uh, some of the challenges he might face uh, in the coming uh, sort of years. Uh, it was, certainly wasn't uh, a sycophantic uh, interview, 100% or anything like that. Um, he was, wasn't afraid to uh, give his um, views on where the president might struggle. So do check out that podcast. Um, as ever, if you like what you hear uh, on this and other podcasts, please do share them on social media, tell a friend about them, um, like, comment, rate, all these things in the various places. Helps uh, grow our listener base and we always uh, appreciate that. Um, but for now, thanks for listening and stay tuned for more episodes on the midterms in the coming days.